You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's a Friday fun show. And there's a lot of fun that we're about to have in the next 90 minutes. Welcome to Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here on your Friday. Got a lot to get to, and a lot of it has happened just in the last couple hours. Producer extraordinaire slash co-host with the most, James Mesh sitting in his cubicle of awesomeness. That's what we're going to start calling it. What's going on, James? What's up? I mean, I'm just... you just chilling. Chilling, yeah. Like a villain. On a Friday. Oh. Chilling like a villain, watching my Twitter blow up with breaking news stories that seem to be benefiting LSU. I was going to say, I mean... At, at, a, at a major level. But you're, but you're a tiger at heart, so it's fine. I mean, apparently, that's what people—that's what people believe. Mm-hmm. I believe it. So uh, you just ooze purple and gold. And yeah, purple and—I—I I, I literally have purple and gold blood. In case you—I mean, that's how my—that's how my Gramps is. Literal. Y'all, y'all, y'all are one in the same. Literal purple and gold blood. All right. So LSU baseball finished the year on a poor note, but had a lot to build on for twenty twenty three. Well, today they added even more to build upon. Tommy White from North Carolina State, the first baseman, has announced that he is transferring to LSU. Tommy White set the NCAA freshman home run record a year ago with 27 homers. He also had a a 362 batting average and 74 RBIs. Now, what's interesting... You have Trey Morgan. Trey Morgan has always already established himself as the first baseman. Does Tommy White play designated hitter? Do you find a new spot for Trey Morgan? Obviously, they'll be able to figure it out, but that that's an interesting question because they both play first base. You couldn't tell me Tommy couldn't play like second? Or somewhere else in the infield? I mean, maybe you could put him at third. Or you could put Trey at third. I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of them are pretty versatile. So, you, yeah. you, could, you could plug and play and like see see what uh what works. Third's different, though. You got to be quick. Because if you got to be able to stab a ball that's screeching down that third base line, I mean, you got to have a quick reaction time. First base... I mean, you, you have to have that, but a, not as much as you gotta. But you gotta be more worried about having a big catch radius, right? Right. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see what LSU does there. They also added a pitcher from Vanderbilt by the name of Christian Little, who, according to Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball, has first round potential and provides a premium arm for the weekend rotation. As a freshman in 2020, Little started 11 games, putting together a 3-2 and record with a 5.48 ERA. And then this past season, only started three games, 
went one and two with a sub four ERA. The interesting thing here, though, is Christian Little has been already, he was put in the same conversation as previous Vanderbilt pitchers, Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. So if he's like either one of them, LSU just got an absolute gem. Let's go to the hotline, 706-0111. T is calling in the show on the Friday. T, what's going on, man? Uh, not too much in you. Uh, living life on a Friday, man. What you got? Uh, hey, hey, it's the weekend, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, no, I think the plan right there is uh, I think they're going to move uh, Trey to the outfield because that's where he's going to play in the pros. He's not going to play first base. So I think that's the strategy right there. So you think they're going to put Trey Morgan in the outfield? Yep, no doubt. Interesting. No doubt. So why? Look, guys. Huh? Go ahead. Why, why do you think that's where he's going to play in the pros? Just out of curiosity. Well, that, that, that's where he's projected to be, not at first base. Hmm. That's intriguing. So, anyway, well, look. Y'all have a good weekend, guys. All right, T. Appreciate the call. Yep. So, according to BaseballReference.com, Trey Morgan is listed as a first baseman slash left fielder. So, there it is. Maybe you plug him in left field, put Tommy White at first, and you call it a day. Because you got Cruz in center field. You know he's going to man center field. Uh, you could probably move Josh Pearson over to. Could you move Pearson to right field? Yeah. Put Pearson in right field. So you have Pearson, Cruz, Morgan in the outfield. White at first. Thompson's going to play probably second. Pineda at short throw somebody at third and god the the power in that lineup dude you you thought you thought Tennessee hit a lot of home runs this year LSU might come close to that in 2023 that's god that's scary i mean just with Cruz and White that's 50 home runs this past year from two guys that's nuts Oh, man. And then, staying with LSU, going to women's basketball, how about the number one recruit in the country staying home? Michaela Williams signs with LSU, turning down Duke, Baylor, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M. She is a one combo guard from Parkway High School. She averaged 23 points, two steals, I want to say I'm going to pull it up seven rebounds a game. And then on top of all of that, so she had 23 points, eight rebounds, almost four assists, and two steals a game. She led Parkway to a 33-2 and record and an appearance in the Class 5A state championship game. Okay, great stats. You want to know probably the most important stat of all to Kim Mulkey? 
Williams maintained a 4.0 GPA in the classroom. She's one of those. That's something you can't teach. She hits on all cylinders. Absolutely. She covers all the bases. So, number one recruit in the country coming to LSU. And on top of that, let's not forget, back in April, Mulkey signed Angel Reese, who was the top prospect in the transfer portal. What? Tell me something Kim Mulkey cannot do. I, I, I wouldn't believe you. I wouldn't believe you. Whatever you could spew at me about what Kim Mulkey couldn't do, I wouldn't believe it. Not at all. Poll question of the day. What grade would you give the Pelicans draft? A, B, C, D, or F? So far, 52.4% say A, 33% say B, 9% say C, and then 4.8% say D slash F. I, th- I think that one person is is just a hater. Uh, how could you how could you say a D or an F? They got a generational talent with their eighth pick. They stole EJ Liddell in the second round, and then you got a young, talented forward slash center to stash in the G League and develop. Plus, not to mention, you signed Searborn. Undrafted. I mean, you you filled a ton of needs last night, and with the number eight pick, you signed a guy in Dyson Daniels that could start for you instantly. Immediately. He played a full year in the G League and played well in the G League. He's an elite 3 and D guy. He finishes well at the rim. He's got great floor vision. I mean, James, in doing your research on Dyson Daniels, did you find anything that you didn't like about his game? I really, I could critique his three-point form, or you you could you could hate on his his three-point shooting, his percentage, because it was only a quarter of the time he would make it. But when you watch the highlights, it's a it's a pretty solid form. You feel like you would hope he could get it off a little quicker. Feels like it's a little slow, but this whole offseason, you got a shooting coach. He, he can work with that. You could you could try and work on that and be like, hey, let's get the timing, Let, let's get the the form and let's get every the whole process. Let's get it done a little faster. That way, you're able to get your shot off faster, more efficiently, and you don't have to worry about getting blocked. You don't have to worry about her blocking you in practice. Yep. Just. What what blows my mind, probably the biggest thing that I love about Dyson Daniels is he has a 100% guard makeup. The dude's 6'7". He can, he can guard he can guard four posi- four positions. He's 6'7". And, he, and and he and he even said like in an interview cuz I I got a few clips. I remember he had also said like I can guard all four positions and even the five at some points if you really need me to. That's insane. Here is Dyson Daniels on what he feels like his role on the team could be in New Orleans. 
My role as a as a player, you know, I can fit in so many different positions. You know, I love to defend. You know, I love to you know play make for my teammates. And best of all, I'm a winner. So you know, I do what it takes to win. And you know, I think that's something that the Pels are doing now is, is winning games. And I think I can step on the floor straight away and contribute in in so many different ways because I can. You know, I'm a versatile player. Can play different positions. But you know, my main strength is on the defensive end. And you know, I love to defend. Love to you know get deflections, get steals, um, and you know play with high energy. Love that. Oh yeah. Love the enthusiasm, love the excitement. And then the the next one, this one I'm going to love even more. I really enjoy when guys are super excited about where they end up. And here's Dyson Daniels saying, in order to be a, in, to be a Pelican, there's no better place for him. Man, when I heard my name called, my, my heart just dropped. Like, I'm just so happy, you know, I heard that my name called and, to be a Pelican, man, there's no better place. So, you know, I can't wait to get to work. And yeah, like this is crazy for real. That Australian accent. I was, I, fantastic. I, I, I wanted, I wanted to get to that because, do you, what do you, what do you think of Australian accents? Because they're t- to me, that's like a, a top three. Oh yeah, top three accent. I love. Oh it. yeah, throwing another shrimp on the barbie. Yeah, dude, I love. I, yeah, Australian accents are fun. Um, no, knifey spoony. Oh my god! Oh my do you, god! Do you know how to play that? No, no. So it, it's more for it's 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 more fun whenever you have a, a few adult beverages in you. Okay. But you compare knife sizes. But if someone says, "Oh, that's a nice knife," but here here's my knife. This is a real knife. There and they show you a spoon. If you call it out as a spoon, you just win. That's actually a solid Australian accent you got going on over there. You like it? That's pretty solid. Yeah. It's a solid eight and a half. Yeah, I'll take it. Right. I try. Right. Series, <laughs> series Australian for me. So, on our poll question on Twitter, got a couple comments already. My guy Andrew Caswell says, "Got a top five talent at number eight, a top twenty talent at number forty-one, and a draft and stash international player at number fifty-two. It was a home run draft, in my opinion." And Darren Francis comments. Who had him top five? A lot of people had him around seven, seven or eight. So it was right where you expected him to be picked. Dyson Daniels has one of the highest upsides in the draft. (laughs) Have you looked at the Facebook yet? No. (laughs) Ralph said, will Dyson's nickname be The Vacuum? Oh, my God. No. (laughs) No. Can 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 I can I cancel people? Can, can we veto that? That's horrible. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's great. If, if that was a dad joke, solid. Well done, sir. Come on, Ralph. Will Dyson's nickname be the vacuum? That's so corny. <laughs> Next, and then Ralph got the A plus. Hey, I'm. I don't know if I would say A plus. I would say B plus, maybe even A minus. Uh, it was a solid draft. I think the Pelicans filled a lot of needs, and I, I think that these these players. I mean, EJ Liddell, like I said, it, it's a steal. You got a first round prospect in the second round, and then with Dyson Daniels again, sure. He's ranked seven or eight right now. Kid's got one of the highest upsides in the entire class. 
We'll get back to that in a second. Martin joining the hotline. What's going on, Martin? What's up, my buddy? How you doing this afternoon? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Look, I'm going I'm to go ahead. Now that I had a clear mind, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. Remember when you were telling me at the birthday pass that the Yankees are a good team? I'm going to agree with you, okay? Okay. Okay. But, I mean... <laughs> I was about to say, where is this going? But, I mean, of course they're going to be the best team in the league when you got the damn up. Oh, my God. For you every single game. And oh last night against the Astros... Because, like I said, I, I love my Red Sox to death, but I'm also, I like the Astros. I don't have nothing against, no vendetta against that. But come on, man. Look at the calls that the umpires are making. It's obvious. It's on the Yankee side. It's, it's obvious. It's obvious. And, and the, the biggest Yankee fan umpire they got is Angel Hernandez. We all know he's a Yankee fan. I mean, the proof is on his calls. So... I mean, if Paul wants to support a team that, that cheats, like he always says, all oh, the Astro cheats and all oh, the, the Red Sox cheats and all oh, this team cheats and your team cheats, has those. So my question to you is, Miguel, how much you think they're paying them, these umpires to, to cheat for them? Because, I mean, they better start saving that money if they want to keep Aaron Judge. Oh, man. Martin... So here's here's my here's my two cents. Yes, okay. the umps were horrible last night. One hundred percent will will agree with you. They were bad. However, Atrocious. the Astros did themselves no favors by playing poorly down the backstretch and giving up four runs in the ninth inning. But man, how they gave up four runs because the umpires were making bad oh, calls no, because no. they weren't getting calls, so they had to throw it right down the plate. And then what happens? Boom, home run, boom, base hit. I mean, come on, when you not it, it all ties in. You see where I'm coming from? I mean, I see I mean, it, but I'm, I'm never, I'm never gonna blame a loss on the umps, ever. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> The Yankees should be undefeated right now. I'm going to go ahead and say that. The Yankees should be undefeated because with the umps on your side, I mean, it's, how, how are you going to beat a team like that with the umps on your side? Oh, my God. Please. You know, I mean, I hate. I, I, I have to agree a wholeheartedly with, with Foot this morning. And I, and, and, and I, I called Foot, Foot this morning, and, and and I told her, look, man, I'm just as upset as you because, man, it's it's, a, it's us against the Yankees, and and it's the umpires, the, the Yankees. I'm gonna have to come up with a new name for the Yankees, because uh, man, no, it is perfectly obvious, man. I mean, ain't no team has a chance against them with the umpires on their side. And another thing I wanted to bring up yesterday, but I didn't get a chance to call in. So, going to the Pelicans. Let's say uh, me and uh, me and Mesh uh, talked about this after you had left the other night. Let's let's say. The Pelicans go and get Tyler Hero. Just to think of what that guy can do in the in the lineup with the Pelicans, man. Yeah. Just imagine. Can't you can't afford him though? I, uh, who was now? Now, Mesh, help me out with that. Who you said trade for? I forgot who's the three guys tra- you, you can trade for. I I had said send Graham, Jackson Hayes, and. Send your pick, but the pick's already been selected. <laughs> well, send him. 
a next a next year's first round pick. But man, if Tyler he a guy like Tyler Hero would get put in that lineup, Lord have mercy. I'm not a Pelicans fan, but they they'd be they'd be lethal with that. I gotta agree with you, Mesh. But that's all I wanted to say. You know, I love y'all show. Y'all my boys and y'all have a good a good weekend. Appreciate the call, Martin. Man, my eyes are bothering me. But anyways, so I like Tyler Hero. He's a good player. Here's my problem. Where are you going to put him? Where are you going to put him? He's a 2-3. You're not taking CJ out of the lineup. You're not taking BI out of the lineup. Where, where are you going to put him? That he, that was that was my only thing. Cause he'd have to be a bench piece, and that's not going to happen. And that's his whole thing is he wants to not be the sixth guy. So, yeah, I mean. That was, that you, was my... Because I had given the thought and he liked it, but at the same time I was like, unless he it, can, unless he can run the point and you make Dyson Daniels your sixth man, which is what he was doing a lot of time, especially when I watched when he was healthy. That would be against the, the boss. That would be the Boston. only thing. That'd be the only way it works. Yeah, he'd have to play point, but even then, it's like, well, that's what CJ plays. Let's take a time out right here when we return. Jarrett Reed of Boot Crew Media and Propel's Talk will join us to discuss the Pelicans draft class and what's next in free agency on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back. Crunch time with Amigas and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Let's get to the hotline. Our guy, Jarrett Reed from Propel's Talk, joins us. Jarrett, man, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Um, I'm excited about this Pelicans draft class. Man, there's some there's some great things going on here in New Orleans uh, with this team, and I can't wait to get into it. So question number one that I have, and it's a question that a lot of people are asking, were you surprised that Paulo Benchero went first? I was not, actually. Um, you've been hearing some rumors, and of course, Woj drops a bomb, as he does, uh, before the draft that, you know, they, they were looking at Paulo first. Uh it makes sense. Um, I, I like the fact that, you know, with, with uh, Orlando's makeup at this point, like, it makes more sense. And I get it. Chet, Chet, he's seven foot and he has time to grow in his body. But as the roster's constructed, it's like they would have had him in, in another opposing. It just didn't make sense. So I, I like, I like Paolo. I think Paolo's, like, ready now. Ready yeah. To play. You know, I, I, secretly thought because you know for for the longest time it was is it Jabari or is it Chet and I'm sitting here thinking well why can't it be Paolo to me I think he's got the best skill set out of the three he's the most no, complete exactly. player out of the three for sure for sure I, I think he's I think Jabari is the most talented I I'm actually I would surprised agree. I'm not really surprised he went three but I'm I kind of am uh I think he's the most ready I think Powell's the most ready, but Jabari has the bigger upside. Yep. That makes any sense. Like he he can do it all. I, he rem, he reminds me of Kevin. I, I know that's a stretch, but he really does remind me of Kevin with his high release. He he can and now he can defend uh, at a at a high level. Um, he's very athletic. He can get to his spots. His dad played right there at LSU. Like he he's basketball, and I, and I think he's like the prototypical basketball player right now. Uh, Jabari, Jabari is—he's that guy, and I think we're going to see in a couple of years that what, what a lot of teams missed out on. Those two teams missed out on. 
Chatting with Jared Reed of Propel's Talk here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. All right, let's get to the Pelicans. Dyson Daniels, EJ Liddell, you know, two huge pieces for this team. I mean, Liddell getting him in the second round like the Pelicans were able to, that is an absolute steal. Give me your thoughts on both of these guys. Let's let's start with EJ. That's an absolute steal. steal. Like what? Trajan Lane in, in the post, the post, I guess the post draft presser said he, they didn't work him out because they didn't think he was going to be there. Like he was the best available on ESPN's best available board for like twenty straight picks. I have no idea. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I have no idea why teams passed on him. I don't know. I don't know what. What didn't you see from from Golden State this year? They had, they had guys even Toscano Anderson and, and the rest of the crew. But if you look at EJ, he looks like Draymond, but with an athletic build. Like, why wouldn't you want that on your team? That could that could be a piece. And the fact that we got him at 41, oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I can't I can't wait. And Dyson is, if if there was a player to fit the Pelicans' MO, it'd be Dyson Davis. It he, was, he's 6'8". Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Go, you, you finish up. Go ahead. No, he's six eight, two hundred pounds. He's a guard. He can dribble the ball. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Uh, he averaged twelve seven five in the G League. He's a great defender. Uh, he can guard. If, if he had a small lineup, he can guard one through five. He's a great passer. Great rebounds to outlet. You can say Lonzo Ball, but I I think his body style is more like more like Kyle Anderson. But don't get it twisted. I don't think he's as slow as Kyle Anderson. Uh, the thing he probably needs to work on, of course is shooting. We all know that. The thing I was surprised about was the, the bad free throw shooting. His form isn't that bad. He just doesn't make them. He has a really good floater. I I think this is a is a home run. I think the Pelicans as a whole, the front office, David Griffin, uh Trajan Lane, the swing cast, they they deserve an A for this. Like this was like an A all around. Absolutely. Like there's nothing that they missed on. Absolutely. Nothing. You know, Dyson you're talking about Dyson Daniels, I think he's got the second highest upside in in this draft class like you said behind Jabari Smith um and you know 68 being a guard is huge because you know he can play he can defend multiple positions all you got to do is work on his jump shot that that's not hard i think the best thing for him is coming into a situation that we're not asking him to do a lot we're just asking you to do what you do well like you're gonna come in. You're gonna you're gonna come off the bench, and the lineup's gonna look like, say, all the starters are out, and you're with the second unit. You're 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 Jose Alvarado. You got Dyson Daniels. You have Trey Murphy. You might have Larry Nance and possibly Jackson Hayes as, as the team is currently constructed. That that lineup, like, what what are teams gonna do? Jose's not a bad defender. What are teams gonna do? And if you try to pick on Jose, we have a good enough team to rotate. Right. Like I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Our second team might be just as scary as our first team defensively. <laughs> defensively. Absol- like, absolutely. It's going to be nuts. Chatting with Jared Reed of Propel's Talk. Last one I got for you, Jared. From a free agency perspective, free agency period starting in about a week, You know, do, do you see the Pelicans making any moves? Do you see them sending anybody off? You know, Where do you stand on that? Oh man, right now we're we're in like a we're in like a roster chokehold right now. So somebody has to go. You know, some some people kind of have to go to make room cuz EJ EJ won't get any playing time as, as it currently constructed. We we kind of have to make some moves. 
Um, I'm going to be honest. I really, I still like Devontae Graham. I think he had some really great moments. And he was fighting through an injury to get to get back on the court. And that really messed up his shot. And he really couldn't get his confidence back. And, you know, you, you put guys in this situation like, oh, he's just a, just a shooter. I think he's more of a shot maker than just a shooter. Um, I would give him another chance. Maybe his value goes up by all-star break, and then you can make that decision. Um, but there are some guys that probably need to, to move on. Um, Garrett Temple, I just, you know, there's probably room on the, the coaching spectrum for you instead of just on just taking up a, a jersey, man. Uh, so those are probably the moves I would make, but reluctantly. Jerry Reed of Propel's Talk joined us here for a discussion on the Pelicans draft class. Jerry, really appreciate you taking the time, man. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll chat it up with you again when uh, when free agency rolls around in the next couple weeks. Thanks, man. Appreciate you all for having me. The Houston Astros will take on the New York Yankees tonight. First pitch set for 6-10. You can listen to all the exciting action right here on the game. They'll look to bounce back from that 7-6 walk-off loss last night. Once again, first pitch, 6-10. And you can listen to it right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's take a timeout right here. When we return, Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. He covers the world of NASCAR. will join us for a discussion. They're in Nashville going racing this weekend. We'll talk about that and so much more here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. And these are always my favorite segments when we get to sit here and talk about four left turns. That's right. We're talking about the fantastic world of NASCAR with Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. Toby, good afternoon, my man. How are you? Hey, doing well. Thanks, guys, for having me on. This uh, should be pretty fun. So racing in Music City this weekend, only the second time in the Cup Series. Last season... Was was an entertaining race in Nashville. What what can we expect for this weekend? Yeah, so that's kind of the question. We all really don't know because we've got the next-gen car this time around. So uh, it was a good race last year. The next-gen car at these kinds of tracks, the mile and up uh, intermediates, has actually put on some pretty good racing. So you would expect uh, it to be even better than it was last year. So everybody's kind of excited to see how it turns out. So one question that I have for you is is about – a guy by the name of Chase Elliott. Mm-hmm. And Chase does this thing where he loves to hang around. Ten top tens on the year, three top fives, but only one win. You know, when is he finally you know going to crack that ceiling to be in victory lane again? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question. Uh, he is a guy that every year of his career since he started winning in 2018, he has had multiple wins. Uh, so, you know, just having a one through the first 16 races this year is a little concerning. Uh, but it is a new car where everybody's still been learning all year long, and the fact that he's still the point leader despite having lots of on-track incidents uh, and only one DNF to show for all the on-track scuffles he's had this year uh, is kind of impressive. And I think once we get into the second half of the year, uh, I think things will start becoming second nature to him with this next-gen car, especially when we start hitting some more of these road courses, uh, which are a huge specialty of his. 
but the first few have been kind of learning uh, with this new car, with the bigger brakes, the uh, the larger wheel package, and everything like that. Um, so it's been a little bit of a, a learning curve for a lot of guys. That's why we're not seeing a lot of people winning multiple races at this point in the season. So I think once we get to the second half, a little bit more of what you would expect would be starting to happen. Talking with Toby Christie here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Let's talk about Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez with Trackhouse Racing. What a season that Justin Marks, his team, has had so far throughout the year. I mean, Chastain's won two races. Suarez added one at Sonoma. I mean, that's a, a pretty incredible start for a first-year race team. Yeah, it's not their first year. Uh, their first year was last year with Daniel Suarez, and they did show some flashes during that season, but they built to a two-car organization this year in their second season, and this is their first year with two cars, and my goodness, they have been lights out. Uh, I mean, it's just been it's just been incredible. So uh, I, I don't know if you would have told anybody going into the season that these two guys would have three wins between them uh, before the halfway point of the season, if anybody would have been like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but, man, they have really come together. That uh, that team's firing on all cylinders. They've got some really smart, intelligent people there. Uh, of course, they did the buyout of uh, Chip Ganassi Racing in the offseason, which acquired the, t- the second charter, uh, the two charters, actually, for both cars, and, and got things where they were in a very solidified spot. And, uh, man, now that they've got, uh, you know, Ross Chastain's got the confidence going. Daniel Suarez now has the confidence of his first win as well. And I don't see them getting any weaker uh, as the season goes on, these guys are really starting to really hit their strides. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how they do uh, as we get closer to the playoffs. Chatting with Toby Christie, you talked about getting to the halfway point of the season and down the stretch of the season. You know, you got Nashville this weekend and the next month in July. You got a five, you got a five race month with Road America, Atlanta, New Hampshire, Pocono, and the Indy Road Course. You know, talk to me about these races and, you know, guys that it might benefit and, you know, what what kind of month of July are you looking at? Well, that's an interesting question, too, because there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of diversity between the racetracks. You've got a couple of road courses in there that you talked about. Pocono uh, is kind of a very weird triangular shaped track where it takes a lot of different factors to be good. Loudon's a very low banked uh, one mile racetrack so that takes a lot of really good handling and, and just patience to get around and then atlanta is basically like a new daytona taldega with the repaves so uh it, it's interesting this will be a pretty good telltale month uh coming up in july to kind of see who's where uh but i think you'll really start to see who's going to start shining in these road course races uh at road america uh the indy uh, road course as well for sure uh, and for that matter, Pocono. Pocono usually lends itself to guys who are pretty good at road courses just because of the crazy uh, turn jigs take around that uh, three-turn uh, triangular racetrack. So uh, I think this month will, will will do well for people like Chase Elliott who are really good at, ra- at road courses. Uh, but then you also have a chance at some surprise winners with Atlanta there. I mean, you never know what could happen in Atlanta. Uh, as we saw earlier in the year, it was just chaos. There were so many lead changes, 46 lead changes in Atlanta with the new plate-style uh, racing they have there. So... That should be pretty exciting. And then Loudon, I expect somebody like maybe an Eric Almirola to step up. He won Loudon last year to kind of work his way into the playoffs, and he's been really good at those uh, low-banked, uh, one-mile-ish kind of racetracks over the last couple of seasons, so I'd expect him to do well there too. What are your thoughts on them bringing back North Wilkesboro Speedway? I mean, I know the the history behind it, and I know, I know guys like Dale Earnhardt Jr. have been a big advocate for, for bringing Wilkesboro back, but from a, from a media perspective, from a – overall perspective what are your thoughts on bringing back north wilkesboro it's great you hate to see racetracks die uh because especially tracks like wilkesboro they've had so many great moments over the years that 
when I was first getting into the sport, I followed as a fan in '93 uh, was my first year watching. So you know, back then Wilkesboro was on the Cup Series schedule and stuff like that. So I have a lot of fond memories of that racetrack, and it's good to see it kind of being revived and. Uh, they're going to do a lot of uh, short track stuff this year to kind of get things going. And who knows, there might be truck series in its future. Uh, Marcus Smith said probably not for 2023. Uh, but if they get the infrastructure built up enough, we might be seeing truck series or something similar racing at Wilkesboro in 2024. And that's exciting for everybody. Everybody's been kind of wanting more short tracks over the last few years. And it looks like we're finally starting to get that uh, get that movement uh, to where we're going to start seeing some of these iconic short tracks kind of working their way back up the ladder. They kind of got pushed away due to not having the kind of attendance levels that these mile-and-a-half gargantuan tracks that they built uh, in the early 90s, early 2000s uh, had. But now all of a sudden things are starting to go back and people want short track racing again. So it looks like we're going to start seeing some of these again. And that's, that's exciting. I don't care who you are. And just the just to have different racetracks on schedules each and every year kind of keeps things fresh, keeps things going, uh, keeps the blood pumping. And it's nice to see new stuff uh, changing around. Do you see cup racing ever going back to Wilkesboro? I would love to see it. I really would. Uh, I think there's definitely a lot that has to be done in the facility for that to happen. You're going to have to have uh, safer barriers, obviously. You're probably going to have to have more seating, and the concession stuff and all that stuff's going to have to be reworked totally to be able to uh, justify having a Cup Series crowd show up. Uh, but if they can get all that squared away, and SMI uh, definitely is a, a company that can do that, um, I, I see no reason why not, but you'd have to see those kind of things working in the infrastructure side of things to actually make it happen. Uh, but I would love to see it. I think it would be great. Chat with Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. Before you run, Toby, give me a prediction. Who's winning in Nashville this weekend? Oh, man, you want to talk about Nashville? I think I really feel like it's going to be, you know, Joey Logano was really good at Gateway, which is kind of a similar style racetrack same about uh you know length and stuff like that so maybe a joey logano uh possibly a denny hamlin or kyle bush because they're the joe gibbs racing cars are usually pretty good at these kind of tracks as well uh so that's kind of what i'm leaning on but i really wouldn't be surprised to see somebody like a kyle larson or a chase elliott or one of the hendrick guys as well they've been strong all season too uh but i'm really feeling like a joey logano or denny hamlin something like that now tell our tell our listeners where they can find your work on tobychristie.com yeah, so the website, tobychristie.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Toby underscore Christie. The website is uh, at tobychristie.com on Twitter as well. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel, tobychristie.com, uh, and I've also got a podcast, The Final Lap Weekly. If you search for The Final Lap Weekly on any podcast platform, you'll you'll definitely find it. It's also housed on the website as well. So if you go to tobychristie.com, you'll be able to find it all there too. Fantastic. Toby Christie joining us here on a Friday. Really appreciate you taking the time, Toby, out of your busy weekend. Enjoy Nashville, and we'll talk soon, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. We'll have to do it some more. There he goes, Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. The Game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help with your date night blues. It's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou. But the only way to score these great prizes is by becoming a member of the clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple, so sign up today. We'll take a time out when we return. Patrick Hardy of the St. Jude Fundraisers will join us to promote Concert for a Cure this Sunday happening at Rockin' Bowl here in Lafayette. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Welcome back. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Sat down with Patrick Hardy last week. He is a board member for St. Jude Fundraisers, and we discussed Sunday's event, Concert for a Cure, happening at Rock and Bowl here in Lafayette. Patrick, good afternoon. Thank you for taking the time, man. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So what we do with uh, fundraisers for St. Jude is we look for opportunities to raise money um, for St. Jude. And as you mentioned earlier, a lot of people are familiar with St. Jude in the event that uh, the unfortunate diagnosis of childhood cancer, if uh, the family has to go to Memphis for care, St. Jude picks up all of the costs for the health care of their child and the living expenses for the children and the family. Yeah, you know, like I said, it's an organization that everybody knows about. It's close to my heart. Uh, I had a family member actually had to go to St. Jude when she was a child, so definitely hits home for me. You know, this benefit, how did it come about? How did fundraisers come about? Kind of talk about that for a bit. Sure. There's a group of seven of us, all friends, and we had uh, been involved with other local events, raising money for other charities, and we did a few things with St. Jude, but decided that we wanted to do more. So we formally created our fundraisers for St. Jude Group, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. And we started creating, we had uh, events. We've had a golf tournament. This is our second annual concert for a cure. Uh, we host a uh, 5K at Avery Island in the end of November. There's other events that we organize to help put on to try and increase the money that we would raise to be able to deliver more money to St. Jude. Now talk about Rock and Bowl getting involved as, as the host site for for the concert. You know, obviously that's a big task for them to to agree to, you know, basically close down their space for the day. So just kind of walk through, you know, that partnership with Rock and Bowl. So last year when we were looking for a venue that could both handle the crowd and be, um, I, I guess, large enough. We had three bands. We have three bands again this year. The team at Rock and Bowl stepped up and said, yes, y'all please. You know, they were welcoming. They helped us out um, and been very accommodating again this year to make the event flow as smooth as possible. Johnny and the crew there are are very helpful and uh, always willing to give back to the community. Chatting with Patrick Hardy here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. So Doug Stone is a pretty big country music name. You know, obviously 90s country, but still still a big name, especially in, in these parts of the Gulf Coast and the southern United States. What was that process like, you know, reaching out to him, you know, getting him involved with this, as well as Chubby Carrier and Achafalaya? So we were looking for a, uh, a headline act, and um, classic country is a, is a big thing around here. Uh, Doug has been about two years ago, I think it was at Route 92, and um, my wife and I were able to see him. And this year, he kind of went back on tour. So he's doing full band shows and acoustic acts all over the country. As a matter of fact, the Saturday night before he comes in to Lafayette, he's going to be in South Dakota doing a big show and flying into Lafayette that Sunday morning. Man, that's that's dedication. That's that's impressive. So, you know, ticket information, where can people buy them? How much is it going to cost? You know, things like that. So if you text the word fundraisers without the D, so F-U-N raisers to 76278 there's going to be a link that comes back that allows you to buy the tickets and also see the items that are going to be available for silent auction and the live auction that's going to be going on during the day. If you don't like that route, you can go to rockandbowl.com slash Lafayette. 
and you can buy your tickets directly off of the website from Rock and Bowl. So general admission $50, VIP $75, and then VIP with a seat is $100, but that option with the seating, from from what I can see, is very limited. Correct. So you get all of the entertainment with a Chubby, a Chafalai, and Doug Stone for only $50. If you want to make a lot out of Sunday Fun Day uh, for an extra $25, we call it uh, VIP, but that includes unlimited uh, drinks and food during the course of the event. Um, select brands, of course, but for, for $25 on top of your 50 yeah, I guess you get the full experience of uh, food, beverage, and music. Chatting with Patrick Hardy here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Now, say somebody's listening to this interview and they want to get involved in terms of like a sponsorship or, or anything like that. Are there options available for people to do that? Absolutely. If you go to fundraisers.info, um, is the website for our fundraising group. And there's uh, some um, connect to us options if you want to get involved. There's plenty of things that we do. We can always use volunteers. And for our events, uh, we're always looking for additional sponsorships. So if it's one of those things where maybe not this particular event, but if they just want to get involved with you guys in general, fundraisers.info would be the place for them to go? That is correct. Chatting with Patrick Hardy here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. The St. Jude Fundraisers Concert for a Cure, Sunday, June 26th from 2 to 8 p.m. Doors open at 1.30 at Rock and Bowl, 905 Jefferson Street. There will be a live auction and a silent auction and music by Doug Stone, Chubby Carrier, and Achafalaya. Once again, ticket info, sponsorship info available at fundraisers.info or you can text fundraisers without the D to 76278. Patrick, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for you know informing us on, on this great event, and uh, we we wish you guys you know great success with with this and the rest of your events. Thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing everybody next Sunday on June twenty sixth. Doors open at one. Show starts at two. There you have it, Patrick Hardy from Fundraisers. Appreciate Patrick taking the time again this Sunday. At Rock and Bowl, Doug Stone, Achafalaya, and Chubby Carrier. Hour number one, come and gone. 30 minutes left in the Friday Fun Show. We'll get to it after this top of the hour sports update on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of two. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Got about 30 minutes left in today's show before we hand it over to the Houston Astros. Breaking news, Steve Clifford has returned as the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. He brought them to two playoff appearances before getting removed from his position in 2018. Other NBA headlines, apparently the Knicks are preparing a huge offer for Jalen Brunson. They're prepared to offer him four years, $100 million. Okay, so here's my question. If you're the Knicks, 
why are you going to trade everything you have, picks, Kimball Walker, whatever, to free up space to acquire one guy that still won't help you. He's still not going to make you better. And then on top of that, you're making all these moves. You're getting rid of all these guys just to get this one guy. What if Jalen Brunson says no? Then what? R.J. Barrett can't do it on his own. Julius Randle, overrated. What do you you have? You have absolutely nothing. You play in the mecca of basketball, and you have absolutely nothing. Speaking of New York, the Yankees and Astros last night, God, what a heartbreaker. The Yankees score four in the ninth to win it seven to six. The game started off very well for the Astros. Altuve gets hit with the first with first batter was Altuve who got hit. Michael Brantley gets on base as well. And then in comes Alex Bregman, who like like we've talked about over the last couple of days. Feels like he's figured it out. And we've got the radio call of Bregman's three-run home run in the first inning. Bregman, per usual, chokes up on the bat a little bit. Facing an 0-1 count. The pitch. And Bregman hits it well and hits it deep to left field. It sends back Hicks at the wall looking up. See you later! Three-run home run, Alex Bregman. And the Astros have a 3-0 lead in the first. Bregman homers for a second straight day, his ninth of the year. You heard all the boos in the background? Yankees fans were not happy with that one. In the bottom of the first, however, Giancarlo Stanton would answer and answer ferociously with a three-run home run of his own to tie the game at three-all. In the third, again, three-run home runs aplenty in the Bronx last night. Altuve on base, Bregman on base, and here comes Air Jordan. Tyone set. Here's the pitch. Another changeup. Rip to right field. Is it gone? A three-run shot to right field off another changeup. Nine home runs off of changeups this year. Another three-run homer for the Astros. Alvarez is 22nd, and the Astros lead 6-3. to three. Four home runs in the last three games for Jordan, and he's homered in three straight. So with that, it would make the game 6-3 to three in favor of the Astros in the third. Scoring would stay that way until the later innings all the way to the bottom of the ninth, but in the bottom of the sixth, Framber Valdez gets a strikeout, to sit down 16 of the last 17 batters he's faced. Here's Robert Ford. Now the 3-2. Strike three call at the knees. Froze Torres with a perfectly placed two-seamer to end the inning. Seventh strikeout for Fromber. He's retired 16 of the last 17. So with it being 6-3, 
In the eighth, the Yankees had the opportunity to cut it down to 6-5 off of an Anthony Rizzo home run, but Kyle Tucker says not so fast. The 2-0, and that's hammered deep to right. Tucker racing back at the wall. He leaves. Did he catch that? Did he catch that? He sure did. What a catch by Tucker, crashing into the wall and taking away at least extra bases from Anthony Rizzo to win the inning. Wow! So you go to the nice, still 6-3 for the Astros. Can't get anything going offensively. And then in the bottom of the ninth, the Yankees need three to tie, four to win. Stanton gets on base. Glaber Torres gets on base. And here comes Aaron Hicks. Presley set the 1-2. And Hicks drives it deep to right. And Tucker is going to watch that one go. We're tied at six. Aaron Hicks hits the fourth three-run home run of this ball game, and Presley blows his third save of the year. However, the New York Yankees were not quite done. A infield single by Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, a single by Trevino, and then a walk by DJ LeMayhew brings up Mr. All-Rise, the arguably best player in the MLB at the current moment, a 3-0 count to Aaron Judge. 3-0. And Judge lines it down the left field line, hooking. Will it stay fair? It sure will. Bounces off the wall on a hop. Trevino scores. Aaron Judge wins it for the Yankees in the bottom of the ninth, 7-6. Judge gets bobbed after rounding first base. Yankees score four times in the bottom of the ninth inning. The snatch victory from the jaws of defeat as the Astros see their win streak end at three games. With the win, the Yankees go to 52-18 and 18 on the year 30-7 and seven in the friendly confines of Yankee Stadium. Meanwhile, the Houston Astros fall to 43-26, and 23-15 on the year away from home. They will be back in New York tonight to play the Yankees game two of a four-game set. You've got Luis Severino going for the Yankees 4-1 on the year with a 3.27 ERA, 66 innings. He struck out 80, and he's given up 10 home runs. And then for the Astros, Justin Verlander looks to bounce back from his poor start a couple days ago, 8-3 on the year with a 2.30 ERA, 82 and a third innings, 58 Ks, 58 hits, 81 Ks. He's given up 10 home runs as well. Jake Myers making his season debut Tonight for the Astros, after having off-season surgery, last season he finished 260 with six home runs and 28 RBIs in only 49 games for the Astros. So he looks to bounce back and get right again after being injured in the ALDS a year ago. So he is in the lineup tonight. Jose Siri has been optioned to AAA Sugarland. While we're on the topic of the Yankees, Aaron Judge has settled with the New York Yankees to avoid arbitration. He will get a $19 million deal this year, plus incentives, and he will become an unrestricted free agent this summer. Not this summer. This fall. Whenever the season ends. This fall. Um, so, big news there for the Yankees. They, they avoid arbitration with Aaron Judge and hang on just a little bit longer Stanley Cup game five tonight Lightning Avalanche Avs lead 3-1 
looking to close it out at home tonight. James, do you think the Avs get it done? Do you think they're hoisting a Stanley Cup tonight? My initial thought is yes. Yeah. But you never know. I I mean, the fact that two of the losses were overtimes, it, it wasn't a for sure beat, you know what I mean? No, for sure, for sure. According to Lightning head coach John Cooper, there are no more tomorrows. This is it. We don't get another mulligan. We've got to pull this one out. I mean, they've won the last two, so really thinking about it, can you really see the last the the last two champions like losing in five? You haven't seen a team like Colorado in ages. In ages. There's not been a team this good in the NHL since maybe the 2009 Pittsburgh Penguins when Crosby was a child and they were just a different breed. That's probably the last time you've seen a team that has done the things that the Avalanche have been able to do this season and be as talented as they have been Poll question of the day. What grade would you give the Pelicans draft? 44% say A, 36% say B, 16% say C, and then 4% say D or F. Ton comes in on Twitter and says it was average. C at best. I disagree wholeheartedly, but everyone's entitled to their opinion. So let's go back to the hotline. Martin joins the show. What's going on, Martin? Man, you just broke my heart with that sound footage, man. Why you gotta keep bringing up that game from last night, man? We all know the ups are cheating for them, just like I said in the last segment, man. Oh my God. But I like how, hey, hey guys, I'm a, I'm gonna be real with you. I like how you said arguably about Judge, arguably the best player in the in the MLB, but he's not because I mean, and this is why I say that. Of course, he's gonna have 27 home runs right now, or whatever he has, because. When you when the umps aren't giving the pitches their calls, they, I mean the the team's playing against the Yankees, got to throw it right down the pipe. So of course the man's gonna hit twenty seven home runs. See where it all ties in. Oh, Martin, you don't honestly believe that, do you? Oh, I honestly call it. And then I know my buddy Paul. I just got off the phone with him, and you should have heard that conversation because uh, uh, and I kept bringing up who he keeps bringing up twenty seven world titles, keeps twenty seven world titles. So I said, okay, in the 20s, who has the most World, World, World Series titles, the Red Sox or the Yankees? Who has more in the 20s? Neither. What you mean, neither? The Red Sox or the Yankees in the 20s? I'm talking about from, 2000, from 20, 2000 from, until now. Who has more World Series titles? The, the Red the Yankees Sox. Or the, Red, the Red Sox, right? Yeah. So they want to keep bringing up 27 World Series, but I'm a I'm a person that believes strongly. What have you done for me lately? Okay, the Yankees ain't done squat daily lately, you know. And um, so that's what I gotta say about that. And I kept bringing that up to him, and but you can only imagine that conversation. But uh, hopefully tonight we can overcome the uh, the New York umpires. Um, that's what I'm gonna start calling them because they're not the Yankees; they're the New York umpires. Because it's, it's perfectly clear who the umpires pull for. But uh, 
uh, I don't know if you read my comment on your poll question. I hope you loving me, guys. Y'all have yourself a blessed weekend. And and uh, this one's for Mr. Green. My my Avalanche are taking the Stanley Cup tonight. And he, like I told him earlier this morning, I I got his uh his Avalanche 2022 um, Stanley Cup champion shirt in the mail. Have a good one, buddy. Go go Avalanche and go Red Sox. Thanks for the call, Martin. So Martin says that he is a what have you done for me lately guy, right? That's fine. That's a that's a fine way to live. But if we if we look at history, the Red Sox haven't won a World Series since 2018. Is that really lately? I mean, yeah, it's in the last five years. So I mean, I'll give you that, but. And then before that, it was 2013. And then before that, it was 2007. And then before that, it was 2004. So yes, you've won four World Series in the 2000s. That's great. However, before 2004, you hadn't won one since 1918. Historically, the Yankees are a much better franchise than the Boston Red Sox. And I, I hate the Yankees. They are a much better franchise than the Boston Red Sox. It's just the facts. 27 world championships to nine. And half of those coming in the last 20 years for Boston. So I don't know. We'll take a timeout right here on the game. And when we return, we will talk more of this major LSU baseball news. We'll talk NHL and we will get you set for tonight's Houston Astros game against who Martin calls the New York umpires. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 24th, 1947. Future Baseball Hall of Fame infielder Jackie Robinson steals home plate for the first of 19 times in his career as the Brooklyn Dodgers beat the Pittsburgh Pirates 4-2. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Rescue Fest is tomorrow at Park International. It's a day of live music featuring the Sarah Russo Band, Jet 7, Layla Laverne, Hunter Corville, and Cam Nelson. There will be plenty of food, games, and even a raffle. Rescue Fest is a fundraiser for the Rescue Group of Acadiana, a group that provides financial and emotional assistance to grieving families of child loss. To buy tickets, head to Eventbrite or by visiting rescuegroup.org, R-E-S-C-Y-O-U group.org. Crunch time with me, guys, Mesh, Matt, me, guys, James Mesh. Saw a picture on social media. It is a picture of Aaron Judge and Patrick Renna, who played Ham Porter in the Sandlot. And the caption reads as follows The greatest power hitter in baseball history posing for a photo with Aaron Judge. James, is Sandlot one of the best sports movies of all time, in your opinion? Oh, it's definitely up there. It's, it's a cult classic. It, it's. You, you, you just, I don't know if you get better. Sandlot 2 came along and really tried to ruin it. Yeah, not, not the biggest fan of 
And, and I kind of like sequels because I like Home Alone two more than the regular Home right. Alone. Right. Usually, I like sequels more than the first one. Also, not the Sandlot. Nope, that was bad, bad, and worse. Absolutely horrendous. All right, let's do this. College World Series championship odds. Ole Miss minus 125? You biting on that? Kind of want to lean the other way now. Oklahoma's minus 104. Hmm. No. So that's, that's <laughs> I, hate, pretty, I hate when they're both negatives. That that's pretty uh pretty even. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh man, I, I don't know if I'm going to touch that. I think I'm just going to stay away. I was going to say you just just don't touch it. Just I think I'm it. just going to watch a good weekend of baseball and just not even worry about it. Exactly. Man, that's wow. Minus one twenty five for the, who would have thought that it would have been Ole Miss and Oklahoma. Guarantee you, I never said that. I wouldn't have. Ole Miss and Oklahoma playing for a national championship. You expected a different SEC team to be yeah. to be in there. Yeah, I, I really thought Tennessee was going to make it, man. I, I thought they were just going to blow through. You felt like they were the team of destiny. Oh, yeah. It, it, was, it was them. They were the team. So to see them fall the way they did was uh, was pretty remarkable. You agree with Ton saying that the Pelicans draft grade was a C? That's a little far-fetched. I don't want to say it's an A, but I don't think it's a C. I mean, yeah. you got you got pretty good value where you were. You you weren't able to get a top four guy. No one really fell to your lap. But I think having a good solid pick in Dyson Daniels, who played in the G League. He didn't play in college. He played. He went straight to the G League, and he plays good defense. And that's what you need for your team. The shooting needs help. But you can always improve on that. When you have natural good defensive skills, I feel like you're an asset. Of course, the league, the league, when it comes down to it, offense over defense, because even if you play good defense, if they just shoot it over you and still make it, it's, it's still better offense. But when you naturally have good defensive instincts, you're able to block shots, tip passes, and get steals. Getting scoring, that can come more naturally as you work on, work on your shot. So I think that was it was a good pick with Dyson Daniels. You say EJ Liddell is the steal it's of the one draft. of the biggest steals of the draft, absolutely. And then your third pick, I mean, how often do the fifty how much how often does the fifty second pick become a huge impact on a team? Not super often. No. You've seen a lot of second round picks become big name players looking at like Nikola Jokic. Draymond Green. And wasn't Donovan Mitchell a second round pick? Uh, if he wasn't, he was he was more in the late first, maybe. He was more of like the mid to late first, thirteenth overall. Okay, so he's mid. Okay, but a couple of examples, and then even Isaiah Thomas, he had a huge impact for a few years, and he was the sixtieth pick. Yep. So you don't necessarily expect it, but you never know. But having second round picks, you kind of just take what you get and just whatever. And, and then Herb Jones was a second-round pick. Lou Williams, P.J. Tucker, Draymond Green, Chris Middleton, Nikola Jokic, Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brunson, um, Mo Cheeks, Danny Ainge, Doc Rivers, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr. Like you got some pretty. Those are some pretty good names. Nick Van Exel. 
Steven Jackson, Richard Lewis, Manu Ginobili. Oh, Manu. Gilbert Arenas, Carlos Boozer, uh, Kyle Korver, Mark Gasol, DeAndre Jordan, Hassan Whiteside, Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, like you said. Yeah, so I mean you've had some you've had some big name second rounders that have worked out. Yeah. Like you're taking stabs in the dark. You never you never really know. You throw Oh, what's his name? Mark Marco Makovich. Yeah. You, I mean, you put him in the G League, see what he does, and then see if Liddell can become like maybe the the ninth guy on the roster. You never know. Yeah, Steve Kerr was drafted 50. Manu was drafted at 57 and worked out the way he did. Kyle Korver was at 51. What was Tony Parker? Tony Parker. Was Tony Parker drafted? Wasn't he undrafted? I want to say Tony Parker was undrafted. 28th overall. Okay, so I was off. 28th overall in 2001 by the Spurs. And he played in the NBA from 2001 to 2018. Well, 2019, because the 2018-2019 season he was with the Hornets. Four-time NBA champion, six-time All-Star, finals MVP, all-rookie first team, two-time European player of the year. Tony was the man. Tony was the man. Like, maybe one of the best pure point guards in the game of basketball. Like, has ever seen. That Spurs team of Parker, Manu, and Duncan. God. And then Popovich is the head coach. Come on. And then they added on Kawhi at the end. That's just cheating. That's just cheating. That's not fair. And didn't they draft all of them? Yeah. All of them. Every, everybody was drafted. That's that's it's the it's t- today's Warriors. And then they picked up solid solid guys like Derek White, Patty Mills, Javante Murray. Yeah. Boris Diaw was pretty good. Yeah, Boris Diaw. He's DL. a pretty solid player. Yeah, it's just like the Warriors, right? You know, you draft Curry and 2 years later you draft Clay and Draymond. I mean, yeah, you had you brought KD, but I mean, before then, you had you had Harrison Barnes. Yeah. Who's a solid contributor. Yeah, people kind of forget about Harrison Barnes because after he left Golden State, his career oh, just yeah, kind of went irrelevant. Yeah. Rob Polinka and Darvin Ham say that Russell Westbrook needs to be a, quote, defensive first player going forward. What? When has he ever been a defensive first player? Even at UCLA, he wasn't defensive first. It's Russ we're talking about. Mr. Triple-Double. Mr. Stat Pattern. Defensive first. I, I And, you know, here's my thing, man. I don't hate Russell Westbrook's game. I mean, obviously, he's got game, right? He just doesn't fit in L.A. The dude should have never left OKC. Second he left OKC, he went to Houston. That was terrible. It didn't work out with Harden. He but goes nobody to, works out with Harden. He goes to Washington. Couldn't play with Beal. That yeah. didn't work. It, it was all, it was all right. I wouldn't say it was successful, but I wouldn't say it was utterly terrible. And then you go to L.A. 
that's been a disaster. And and it was, I would say, the worst year of his career. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was the worst year of all of their careers. This was the worst year of LeBron's career. Maybe not from a personal performance, but just overall, the worst year of LeBron's entire career. And I will argue that until I am blue in the face. Absolutely just terrible. I think they're going to get better with Darvin Ham as their head coach. But uh, terrible, terrible year for, for the Lakers. Looking at the Travelers Championship after day two, Xander Shoffley in the lead at 14 under Harris English, Patrick Cantlay, Kevin Kisner at 9-under, JT Poston, Rory McIlroy at 8-under. Scroll a little bit further down the list, Hayden Buckley 5-under, Scotty Scheffler 5-under, Harold Varner the third at 5-under as well, Joel Damon 4-under, Sam Ryder 4-under, Tony Finau 4-under. Little bit further, Luke Donald, Matthew Wolf at 3-under, Davis Riley at 3-under, Keegan Bradley 2-under. The cut is at 2-under, meaning that Mito Pereira, Mark Leishman, Louisiana boy Sam Burns, and Jordan Spieth all going home early. James, again, you know, we talked about the LSU news earlier Tommy White and Christian Little transferring to LSU. I mean, just absolutely massive gets for Jay Johnson, right? And you, you kind of expected it at, at this point. Yep. Yeah, you really did. It's it, it's year two coaches. You feel like Jay Johnson, Kim Mulkey, they're going to make that next step. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the... What's going to be interesting to me is seeing what Jay Johnson can put together with this team. I mean, Kim Mulkey, LSU women's basketball is going to be just fine. There, there's no doubt about that. I smell Final Four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if everybody stays healthy, for sure. For sure, you, you, could, definitely, you could definitely put th- those two together. And then, you know, LSU baseball, Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Trey Morgan – Braden Jobert, that team's going to be dangerous. NFL News, Chicago Bears linebacker Matt Adams has been charged with a misdemeanor firearm possession. He was arrested Thursday night for firearm possession and was cited for having a high-capacity magazine and metal-piercing bullets. He was arrested at approximately 6.46 p.m. According to a summary of charges, police searched Adams' vehicle and found him to be in possession of high-capacity magazines which is a municipal code violation within the city limits of Chicago. Adams is in his first season with the Bears after spending the past four with Indianapolis while he played under Bears coach Matt Eberflus, who was the Colts' defensive coordinator. DeMario Davis also reworked his contract today, keeping him in New Orleans through 2024 It's a team-friendly deal for the Saints as he cut down his base salary and will work out some incentives along the way. 
Friday has come and gone. Appreciate Jared Reed and Toby Christie for joining me. It was a great week, great shows. Appreciate everybody for listening. James Mesh, appreciate everything you do. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez saying be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. Have one hell of a weekend, and hopefully we have an energetic and power-stacked Monday here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Astros are next.